Lucifer Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. Welcome back to X's for Podcast. I'm your host, Jonah. And I'm Nico, and this has been quite a journey, and it has all come to this. We are, of course, talking about the end of the road for House of X and Powers of Ten, Hickman, LaRaz, and Silva's landmark, groundbreaking reimagining of the X-Men franchise. Now, it has been an incredible 12 weeks, and this 12 weeks is leading us to Jonathan Hickman and Lionel Francis use X-Men number one next week. This past weekend at NYCC, which... Jonah and I attended along with our co-hosts like Kevo and Dylan. We where we heard that they were announcing a new Wolverine book. There's just been so much going on and I'm personally very excited to talk about these final issues of the incredible Powerhouse project, but before we can get to that Jonah, I feel like in covering all of the amazing that has been this roundtable group discussion, we've lost out on some of the deeper thoughts of each one of our contributors. So Jonah, I was hoping you might indulge me a slightly unusual trip into the powerhouse, and I was hoping you might answer some questions for me. I feel like I'm on a pageant and I'm trying to win uh, Mr. Mutant Continental. Oh, you are absolutely trying to win Mr. Mutant Continental here. So, Mr. Mutant Continental, I guess my first question for you then is, in the 12 issues of House and Powers, you were not just introduced to new mutants in the form of Cardinal, Rasputin, Silabel, but you were personally introduced to existing mutants that you had not come across yet, such as Husk and Monet. What was it like settling into 12 issues with a far greater number of new characters than the number of issues. I will say this, I found it not that hard to swallow, not that hard to understand who everyone was. And part of that is because of where we are currently in Uncanny. We're currently reading New Mutants alongside the main Uncanny run, and that adds five more characters to the roster of the X-Men, as well as increase the role of other characters who kind of played the role of sidelines, such as Stevie Hunter. So it's not that difficult for me to process everyone and try to get a better understanding of who they are and who is in current day X-Men. I think that there were a lot of characters who were just used for show, and I think some of those mutants include like Fauna, who we saw Gene take into a Kakawa portal, but I don't think that Hickman overstepped his boundaries of adding new characters or reusing characters that didn't have the limelight. And I think it's that desire to showcase as many characters as he could that definitely led to such an enormous roster. He was trying to prove himself. This wasn't just, oh, new scribe, blah, 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 coming on. This wasn't Jonathan Hickman is doing a miniseries. This was there completely reimagining the X-Men, and they're giving it to one man to do. It was a tall order for sure, but I agree with you. They used the characters cleverly. The inclusion of Fauna does 
stand out, especially when there's a number of X-Men that I feel didn't get any page time, despite appearing on covers or in promotional art. So, hopefully we see some of them appear. Cough, cough, my precious cable, cough, cough. <laughs> Speaking of people precious to us, Kyle had a few things to say about House of X and Powers of Ten. Let's take a listen. Since the earliest days of Excess for Podcast, we've been talking about bringing together different people with different perspectives and painting a tapestry of X-Men fandom as diverse as the X-Men themselves. So, of course, I had to bring in my best friend, Kyle. Kyle, it's been so great to have you with us since actually the second episode. Uh, you know, this is this has been such an awesome project, and I'm really glad that you asked me to join you on it. And I'm so glad that you did, especially because early on, I tested the limit limits of your patience and our friendship with some of those champions issues i wouldn't go that far but yeah those those issues were pretty bad yeah they were a challenge unlike anything i feel like we've done on this show since although we've had a handful of x-men classics anyway with dawn of x one of the most exciting things has been you and i have gotten to agree disagree we've gotten to have different thoughts on the material that we're covering with champions we felt very frequently limited by the quality and the material and sort of that anachronistic way we were looking at it. But now we're talking about things that are vital, current, daring. The material at hand is so different than anything we'd looked at before. And I feel like we've had such a great time. It's been so awesome. I mean... Being able to experience this brand new story with other people and seeing how they're reacting and getting their theories on stuff, it's just been so cool. I've honestly never been able to have this kind of experience before, so this is really fun. You know what? Part of that fun for me has been this book club atmosphere we've cultivated. It's been so exciting getting to hear your opinions, Dylan's opinions, Jonah's opinions, but that's meant a little bit that we've lost out on each person's individual perspective. So I wanted to take a little time and talk about some of the bigger concepts Jonathan Hickman introduced in House of X and Powers of Ten with each of you individually. So Kyle, I had a couple of questions about some of these newer ideas. Okay, hit me with them. So I guess my first question goes back to House of X number one, when John Hickman introduced the three different types of Krakoan flower that increased the quality of human life. Okay. Now, while they had started a big part of the story, it it seems like the drugs were just a bargaining chip to get the audience to accept some of these retcons. In retrospect, what is your stance on the flower that was introduced in House of X number one to increase human life? It's kind of interesting that this would be something that the mutants would be willing to do, but looking back after reading all 12 issues, I'm still a little concerned about what they're going for with them, but I can also also see it being used in future stories. Absolutely. I wonder if we're going to see some sort of Kirkoan antidote-proof strain of virus introduced and the dangers and threats that that could lead to. The frequent minds behind those things would be Apocalypse, Sinister, Hydra. Characters who all have some great stake in this story, whether it's through the Orchis Protocols or the survival of their species. It's been a really exciting story for those elements. And I'm excited to see where they go. Now, if you had your choice, which of the three drugs would you want to take? Would you want a cure for all mental illness? Would you want an antibiotic that can take care of anything? Or would you want a cool five years added to your life? 
Hmm. I think I'd want the drug that heals mental illness. You and me both, brother. You and me both. But I think a lot of that is because... We both have our own mental health issues, so. Yeah, and in that regard, I think Jonathan Hickman found a way to really draw your audience in quickly by making a compelling case for the real-world ramifications for some of what he introduced. It's definitely something compelling to get not only the worlds that we're reading about interested in, in these new additions, but also us. I really like that perspective. We're not just seeing a different take on the X-Men. We're seeing a different take on how the X-Men interact with us. And speaking of X-Men interaction, by now, everybody's read House of X 1 through 6 and Powers of 10 1 through 6. So, of course, it would be impossible to discuss this story without discussing the ever-prevalent Wolverine. Wolverine found himself over and over again, whether it was in the present and a very active mission that set the tone for the X-Men going forward. It was a 100 years in the future. Future, or it was even at what we perceived to be the end of time in what was ultimately revealed to be what was it kyle what was moira, the very far future moira six like i had guessed. Ah, so we've got the far future moira sixth timeline with logan we have the semi-far future moira's ninth life with a logan and in what was moira's like ninth and tenth lives because evidently she does the golem fake or was that the eighth i just, they're all the same she's just she's dead and now she's not i guess but <laughs> logan was really recently dead like i mean logan was gone just two years ago and his return was a huge change for the x-men how does it feel not just having logan back but in light of the the announcement of his new solo ongoing right after NYCC. Where do you fall on the Logan spectrum in this new age of X-Men? Hmm. You know, when I started reading this, I had already kind of fallen to Logan fatigue, but with the amount of time that has gone since Logan had died last and his return, I'm starting to enjoy him again. And I just, I kind of find it really interesting that he has been integral to Moira's death in multiple timelines, multiple lives, I should say. I completely agree with him being so central to so many of Moira's deaths. It felt very much like uh, certain runs where it's possible Logan is responsible for killing certain people and there were certain parallels and it was fascinating. Mm. Without getting too detailed for any of our listeners who don't want to have anything spoiled. So or me. <laughs> well, absolutely. Right. I'm keeping everybody safe. <laughs> now, talking about Wolverine for a moment, it's kind of hard to talk about characters and their place in this without discussing what I refer to as the Perpetual Mute Machine, the Mutants 5, the Resurrection Engine that is, for lack of a better term, the island of misfit mutants i never saw hope and gold balls or as we've agreed to call him on the show gold balls <laughs> i never saw them coming together in this way and i think i'm fascinated by the interplay of it on like a big science level kyle i don't know where you really landed on that because it was such an enormous idea and the discussion got so far away from us as we tried to figure it out where did you land on that i honestly i loved the idea that they were using these mutant abilities in conjunction with one another <laughs> 
It's all the same dumb word. None of us speak Krakoan. Nobody speaks Krakoan here. (laughs) None of us! (laughs) I like that that they are combining their powers in this way that we've never really seen before. And it's making mutant lives better because of that. I agree. I am so excited for the future of X-Men. Now, I have a final question for you, Kyle. We have currently seven announced titles. We have the CIA of Krakoa in the new X-Force title. We have every summer's ever running around X-Men. We have an unusual gang of second stringers who are all kind of trying to keep their place running around Fallen Angels. We have have an exciting lineup in New Mutants, an equally dynamic Excalibur, a Wolverine solo series, and brand new look at the X-Men through eyes we've never seen in the form of the Kitty Pride-led Marauders. That's seven exciting titles that we know about right now, and I have to imagine there's going to be a second and third wave. Of those seven, Kyle, what are you most looking forward to? I think my most anticipated book at the moment is Marauders. I am tickled by the idea of Kitty and Emma working together in such a way to smuggle these Krakoan drugs to the countries that have decided not to approve of the mutant nation. Other than that, X-Force seems kind of exciting and I always love my new mutants so I gotta go with them too. I'm so excited about this lineup of new mutants it's a really clever lineup and Kyle I know we're gonna be covering X-Men by Jonathan Hickman and Lionel Francis Yu as it's coming out here on the network as well as spotlighting the trades for the other titles throughout the run that is Dawn of X and I can't wait to have you be part of it in whatever form you choose to be on it. So grateful you were a part of Powerhouse and I can't wait for you to contribute to the network next time. Until you next appear, Kyle, where can everybody find you online? You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. Thank you so much. Thank you. Jonah, one of the things that was most amazing to me as a fan of the X-Men was when you came into this, you said right off the bat, no, I love Moira McTaggart. She's crazy and amazing and I love her and she's awesome. And I, of course, agreed wholeheartedly as she's always been one of my favorite characters. It was so exciting then to get to experience this transformation of the X-Men franchise with you in the form of the many lives of Moira X. X has been a letter that the X-Men have used over and over again, whether it's the transformation of the X to mean 10 in the pages of New X-Men by Grant Morrison, or it's the idea that the X has stood for Xavier and for that indecipherable variable X. Moira X took that to a new level, whether it was once again applying it to 10 or the variable notion. For your money as a fan coming into this, what did that dynamic shift to who Moira is do for you? I think it did two main things for me. One of the first being looking at Moira in retrospect. I think of the twist of Moira being a mutant and her mutant power specifically being resetting timelines with her retaining her memories from previous lives was written in such a way that hindsight was taken in. Some reactions I've seen is that certain quotes that Moira says to Charles, whether it's about their appearance with 
the governor and speaking when we first got our introduction to the new Brotherhood of Evil when they tried to assassinate Senator Kelly. Reading those lines of how Moira reacts to Senator Kelly and how, in hindsight, it comes across as Moira knows a lot more than the way she's leading on, I think was done so well. And having Moira become the center of the X-Verse and basically control everything is so important. And I think it was amazing that a character that I enjoyed from her first appearance as this Rambo, Bambo, amazing woman who was ready to fight a demon with a machine gun. I was really impressed with the way Hickman wrote Moira's story to be able to incorporate her past. That was the first thing that Moira's character of becoming Moira X really did impact on me. And the second being Moira's just overall increased role. She's now not just the human ally who is a genius in genetics. She holds the key of X-verse knowledge. She holds the key of the future. And, you know, I'm really interested to see where they have to go with Moira knowing the truth that the very possibility is they're not going to survive. They never will win and they were never going to win. I am very interested to see how that's going to play out. And I think they're doing a really good job trying to play against that idea. One of the things we're seeing is that Moira is insisting that Destiny not come back. Now, I'm fascinated to see where that goes. But it also allows us to have freedom from the notion that the future is set in stone. One of the things that we immediately have to accept about this story is through the course of her reincarnations, Moira is forcing the world to change with every decision she makes. It's very butterfly effect, Nichiren change one heart, change the world, and I can't wait to see how the world continues to change. And from one guy who can't wait to see how the world continues to change to another, we have some of Dylan's deep thoughts on power of 10 and House of X coming up. While he may be the newest voice to X's for Podcast, Dylan has contributed to nearly every episode since he came on board, and that has included every single time we've discussed the powers and house lines. So Dylan, it's great to have you here for this retrospective. It is great to be here. Now, to put a little real-world spin on it, we actually just had the most amazing weekend, not only were we both at New York Comic Con, where we got to pick up our gorgeous J. Scott Campbell limited edition storm-numbered House of X 5 covers at the Marvel booth, but we got to meet for the first time. They announced Wolverine is going to have a solo spinning out of Dawn of X, which I think this is my ninth time mentioning it since it was announced. (laughs) Can you tell I'm excited? It was a great weekend for us. That was your first New York Comic Con, right? It was my first time being in New York. It was my first New York Comic Con, which was absolutely amazing. And like you mentioned, I got to meet you and everyone else, or mostly everyone else, from X's for Podcast. And I think meeting you guys was actually way more fun than the Comic-Con, but that's just because I'm biased because you guys are awesome. Well, it was incredible to have you hanging out in our booth with us. For those of you who might not realize, Kevin and I show our comic, Kid Riot, an inclusive comic about an LGBTQ team of superheroes based out of the tri-state area. And Dylan came and hung out with us at our table for Saturday, the big day. I also picked up that far too cute Xavier sweatshirt, but that's neither here nor there. Dylan, 
it was so incredible to have you there. Next time you come to New York Comic Con, it's going to be on a panel for X's for podcasts, I'm sure. And because we've had such an amazing time being part of a group experiment talking about powers and house, we haven't gotten to do that sort of deep dive detail work that you and I really love about the X-Men. So I've prepared a couple of questions for you representing the 12 issues, the, what is it now, 200-something pages of this dawning of mutancy. You think you got a couple answers for me? I'm sure I have some pretty lengthy answers for you. Oh, I'm super excited. Early on in the pages of House of X, we were introduced to a number of new ideas that shook the X-Men to their core. One of those ideas was the three forms of Krakoan flowers that benefit mutes. There was number one, the dual flower gateway. There was number two, the ability to produce habitats. And there was number three, no place flowers. This completely spun the X-Men into an entirely new direction almost terraforming the idea of the XG. How did you feel that they took X-Men in this wildly new direction, adding a terrestrially, biologically kind of elemental factor to it? When it first started in that first issue, it seemed a little a little weird. The X-Men have always made their claim to certain areas. Just being theirs, like, I don't know, uh, the Westchester Academy and then Muir Island, and they didn't really make Genosha but Genosha, and then in the past decade or so when they had Utopia in California, it, it seemed very similar in, in that aspect of them making their own place and claim to an area, but it also seemed a little off because it seemed like it was going to be on a bigger scale, and that was a little bit different for the X-Men, so it was a little intriguing. I love thinking about it like that it affected the scale because one of the things that the X-Men became so famous for over the years is blowing up the mansion. I'll be pretty pissed if they blow up Krakoa. I agree. Don't blow it up. Don't blow up my mutant island haven safe Plus place. Don't take he's it from so me. He's so cute. Don't kill him. And don't kill him? Oh my god, and son of Krakoa was the cutest thing. And speaking of killings, the X-Men have this uncanny knack of dying and coming back, but now that death is thrown out the window, the X-Men have had to kind of adapt to new ways of thinking. The Quiet Council of Krakoa is made up of Xavier, Magneto, Apocalypse, Mr. Sinister, Exodus, Mystique, Sebastian Shaw, Emma Frost, Kitty Pride, Storm, Jean Grey, Nightcrawler, with assist from Krakoa and Cypher, as well as the great captains Cyclops, Gorgon, Bishop, and Magic. These characters came together, well at least the former group of 14, to determine that there are only three true laws in all of Krakoa. And one of those laws is you may never kill a human. To the point where Sabretooth was left to plummet to his death for eternity, I guess, in an abyss for his transgressions in House of X number one. What are your thoughts on this new form of new government? They're only three laws being make more mutes, harm no humans, and eternally respect Rakoa, and their dramatic, distasteful actions. I like that there's the council. I like that with this new world for the X-Men and how they are going to be living it, I'm glad that they slightly made their own government, in a sense, and I'm glad it's not just one or two people that's in charge. I feel like the Council of Twelve brings, they bring four different aspects of thoughts and ideas and ideals on how to be a mutant in this world. I am probably going to be in a minority, or maybe I'm not, but I'm not too keen on what they did with Sabretooth, though. 
I, I mean, the whole point of that issue was they made these laws and Sabretooth committed the crime before those laws were made. I mean, it is Sabretooth, so he was bound to break that rule of no murder. But I don't really agree with them choosing to make Sabretooth be an example. I really understand where you're coming from as well, especially because your explicit point is he didn't kill anyone after the law was written. I agree with you. It's inevitable. This is Sabretooth. He's just waiting to kill someone. There's no other choice. It's Sabretooth. But I was impressed by Xavier's willingness to try something different. If that <laughs> if that can be of any weird comfort. It, it is. I think my main aspect of being angry, or not angry, but not agreeing with what they did to Sabretooth is the fact that they have a council that has Apocalypse and Mr. Sinister on it. Like, their names aren't Cookies and Cream. Like, they're going to do something soon, too. I'm really super into this idea of, like, Cookies and Cream and Rocky Road and this whole, like, you know, Cherry Garcia, man. (laughs) I'm really super into it. So now I have to ask a question about the far future. And this one had been one that bugged us at first, but we lost sight of it as a team somehow. That's kind of the positive and the magic, and also the negative and the detractor of working in these big groups the way we are. Something that definitely jumped out at me is that we forgot that two characters inexplicably find themselves in the future at the end of Powers of X, number one. Come to find, they're Wolverine and Moira. Moira's purpose in House of X and Powers of of 10 has been to completely upend the X-Men in its entirety with just her presence. You said for your money early on, Moira wasn't a particularly fascinating character. She made it onto none of the promotional material for this project. She appears in next to none of the art that has been released for the Dawn of X, yet we know as a fact she remains in her no place. In that moment, in her no place, in Powers of X number 6, Moira said under no circumstances is destiny ever to come back for the dead. We all really resonated with that sequence of Moira and Destiny and Mystique. It was one of many sequences that Destiny played off of a loved one in some significant way, whether it was her former lover, Sabretooth, or it was Destiny in the past. Where do you feel no precogs is going, especially with it being no Destiny, and what a betrayal of Mystique that is bound to be? Oh, well, I think it's an absolute given that everyone should expect that Mystique is going to... I feel like in this upcoming future, since we've seen the Dawn of X solicitations that show characters like Apocalypse being a part of Excalibur, I feel like once Mystique puts two and two together, that they keep putting her off, that Destiny is not going to be resurrected, I feel like Mystique is going to become the next big bad for the X-Men. Even, I... It's... It's kind of awesome to think about, but then also just kind of weird because it would be Mystique against the X-Men that have Apocalypse on their team. And if there's one thing that Mystique has always been true to, it's the fact that she loves Destiny. And this is the one way that she can get her back. It's exciting to think about what Mystique is going to do. 
I am very excited to see what Mystique is going to do. And that, of course, brings us to the fact that The Dawn of X is being launched with seven titles. We have a solo book in the form of Wolverine, as well as team titles like X-Men, X-Force, Marauders, Excalibur, Fallen Angels, and New Mutes. Of those seven titles, Dylan, which one most has your attention? The one that has my most attention is actually going to be New Mutants, because... I really feel like, even though most of the cast of New Mutants is the original New Mutants, like Karma, Sunspot, Cypher, Moonstar, and Magic, and then you throw in Mondo and Chamber from Generation X, that's the part that gets me. I loved Generation X growing up. So to see the combination of, like, I think what most people consider the two kid teams of X-Men, New Mutants and Generation X, it's an awesome mix, and I'm sure since they've mixed those two, there's going to be even more Generation X members that will pop in from time to time. I have to agree. One of the big things that they've been trying to do is create an expansive, inclusive world of all sorts of mutes that we've been missing for so many years. I know that I personally am over the moon at the prospect of where the X-Men are going to get to go again. I've just been so sad, and it's going to sound dumb, but I couldn't imagine quitting collecting X-Men. My father collected from 1975 to 1993, and he started up again in 1998 and collected till 2000. And then I collected 2004 and on, and I filled in those gaps. And genuinely, honestly, by the end of the Bendis era, I wasn't even reading the books anymore. They were just amassing in piles, and I just couldn't bring myself to read them. That did read like my X-Men. While I was an enormous fan of the bits of the Jeff Lemire run I read, it all got kind of cockeyed quickly. This is the most genuinely connected I have felt to the X-Men franchise, maybe in my whole life. And knowing that I have a friend like you who feels the same way about X-Men, that it's such a developmental part of who you are, and that you're going into this as excited as I am. I couldn't have asked for someone better to come on this journey with. And Dylan, until you return to the X's for Podcast airwaves, where can everybody find you? Everybody can find me on Facebook at my Facebook group for X-Men that has the same name, House of X. And you can also find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Terrific, Dylan. Thank you so much, and we'll see you soon. Jonah, there's been no version of the X-Men you've encountered yet that haven't set their base out of Gray Malkin Lane. As a matter of fact, we've come to use Gray Malkin affectionately on this show because the mansion itself has become such an identity with who the X-Men are. In this bold new version of the X-Men, they've left behind the idea of the mansion and they've embraced a worldwide biome connected via transport. Will you miss the mansion? And either way, what are you hoping most to get from this limitlessness of connected bios? I think saying goodbye to the X-Mansion is pretty bittersweet for me, and I say that because I think it's more than just a mansion or a school or an institution. It's the very symbol of the X-Men's first semblance of a home. It's the first place where they weren't made to feel like they were a freak of nature because of their mutant genetics, and... I think having that symbol change as to where that is, is good. You know, you don't want to be stuck in the 1970s and 80s in the same location and having it always be a danger room sequence and so on. No matter how interesting or unique you can make those, 
it is really nice to have a fresh new place that mutants can call their own. You kind of have to, you can't use the X-Mansion anymore because there are going to be way too many mutants and I highly doubt there's going to be enough teachers for all those students and it would be very awkward with how many people would be sharing in a bedroom. I don't think that would be safe by any standards. OSHA or mutant. Moshe. <laughs> Moshe Jenkins. Tell me if you like the biomes or not. <laughs> When it comes to the biomes, I find it pretty fascinating, and I'm actually really interested to know, there's one nation of Krakoa, but what's to say that certain mutants aren't going to form certain cliques that are going to become territorial? You know, are we going to have the psychic nation, where they're telepaths and telekinetics and empaths and all those different variations of being a psychic? Are there going to be an elemental nation, you know, with Bobby and Storm and other people? You know, what's to stop from segregation within Krakoa? You know, we saw what they did to Sabretooth. What's to say that they're not Where's the line, you know? And I think that was the whole point of the Quiet Council of where are they drawing the line with their rules? But I'm really fascinated to see how long the Krakoa Nation will remain united within. Well, until we return to ask ourselves and the X-Men those questions in the pages of Hickman and Hughes, X-Men number one, Jonah, it's been such an incredible experience getting to talk about Powerhouse with you for the last 12 weeks, and I can't wait to do an in-depth review of House and Power 6, as well as kick things off in the dawn of X. But until then, where can everybody find you online? Drinking tea with Moira in her no place, which is not an innuendo because we actually know where that was now. <laughs> but if you'd like to find me online, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jonah Rubino and at Jonah.Rubino. Nico, I'm really happy to say that this is my first X-Men event and be able to read this and go through this with you while we're reading the old comics that touched your heart. So where can everybody find you online? You guys can find me all over this amazing network on shows like HTML, which I do with my amazing husband, Jonah's boyfriend, Kevo, where we talk about different film and media franchises. Currently in a deep dive through the Alienverse. Don't forget to check out Now and Again, which I do with my childhood best friend, where we talk about pop music in the form of the Now That's What I Call Music series. And you can check me out being shirtless and thoughty on Instagram over at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N, or my inclusive comic, Kid Riot, over at KidRiotComics.com. And until we return to the pages of Gray Malkin Lane. We'll see ya. See ya!